the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, we left off at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 was the verse we ended on, which is a doxology. But before we look at our text, I want to start by reading two verses to you that we read all the time. These verses really, for us, sum up the daily struggle of the Christian life. They can make the difference whether or not you're living victorious as a child of God or defeated as an unbelieving believer. And of course, the first one is 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul clearly declares the truth of us. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that would include every child of God. If anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior. He is a new creation, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Now behold, new things have come, because spiritual awakening begins with a new life. Now, we've read through that many times. And the question that we must ask ourselves, are we living the new life that we have? Or does it very much resemble the one we had before? As a new creation, I delight in the things of God and the people of God. I delight in His Word. I delight in praise and prayer. As a new creation, I love unconditionally with His love. I embrace obedience and His pleasure. The assembly is my family and my place of nurture. That is true of me as a new creation. Do you know that everything that runs contrary to the truth of me as a new creation is flesh? That's the truth. Everything that would fight against truth in my life, my new creation is in the center of truth. Everything that would fight against truth in my life is of the enemy, it's of the flesh, it's sin. Now this is why we can confidently, what Paul is saying right there, he's saying, you've been reborn, 
You become something absolutely new. And you need to embrace that. You can't just set that aside. You can't see it as ethereal or conceptual. You can't just put it off and say, yeah, that's true in heaven someday. But it is true of you now, unchangeably, immovably, irrevocably. It is you. It's who you are. Now, Knowing that, there is a way the new creation desires to live. I didn't say the way the flesh desires to live. Because in the way the flesh desires to live, there's all manner of distortion. There's rejection, there's fear, there's doubt, there's unbelief, there's selfishness, there's self-centeredness, there's self-indulgence. There's all kinds of things that are not reflected in the new creation. And if we live with this sense that that is us too, then we're living in a duality and we will give way to it frequently. What we need to embrace is the truth of who we are. So that we can walk and recognize that Christ has a way for us to walk and a way for us to live. And everything's really tied into that. It is a fact. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a fact. It is the word of God to us who believe. It is the truth for us. And if it is who we are, then we should live in the context of it. We should live in the truth of it. But whether or not we believe this is true or feel like it is true, it does not change what God has done. Cannot change it. Truth is a spiritual fact declared by God. Truth is a spiritual fact declared by God. Anything contrary to truth did not come from God. Okay? Now, we are left in a physical and temporal existence, so that we possess that truth by faith. By faith, we choose to know Him and to share our new life with Him. So we ask the question, all right, if this is all done by faith, what is faith? So here comes the next verse that you've heard over and over again. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance... Title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. Okay? The Amplified has it that faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. Well, that won't work. All that I can see with my eyes, all that I can hear with my ears, all that I feel or think cannot be faith. How do I know my God then? How do I know my God? How do I know the truth? Christian faith is not determined in the temporal. That doesn't make it weak. We often think it makes it weak. But it doesn't make it weak. It makes it indestructible. Because faith that is grounded in Christ, in you, cannot be moved, cannot be changed, cannot be influenced. Not by the temporal, not by the influence of man, not by logic, not by reason, and as we have discovered, not even by science. Faith is indestructible. 
It is the door that is always open for us to enter into all that God has created us to be and to live out of the intimate union that is ours in Christ. Faith doesn't make anything true. I'll repeat that. Faith does not make anything true. It allows us to live in the truth. Faith is that intangible reality that is in the center of every child of God. It draws us to truth. It allows us to live in the awareness of His presence without the empirical evidence that the flesh would demand. The reason I wanted to remind you of this is because both the struggle and the victory of the Christian life concerns our faith. Spiritual warfare is about faith. Victorious living is about faith. Every experience that God allows in your life has but one purpose, and that is to provoke faith. Now, obviously, the object of that faith is Christ. It's Him. Now, we've been created, literally birthed into union with Him as a new creation in perfect and absolute conformity to His perfect will. That's what we have been made into being. The only struggle that we deal with is the struggle of appropriating the truth of that in our living, living it out, thinking accordingly, expressing and manifesting the truth of it. Because God's desire for us, as He puts us in this environment that for all intents and purposes would leave us faithless apart from Him, is that we determine to live this life by faith so that we can walk and manifest and express the Word become flesh. For Jesus was the second Adam and firstborn of many, many who are born unto living in this faith vacuum, exuding and manifesting faith. That is what we're called to. And so many Christians fall by the wayside because they do not want to live by faith. It's so hard. It's such a struggle. Why can't God make it easier to live the Christian life? He hasn't made it difficult. When He is done, is He put you in a place where you either live by faith or you live according to the flesh. That's just really how it is. And the flesh is not enjoying the faith walk. But God made you for it. Now, that's the difficult part of the Christian life. That's why you have churches that are all about what you can know in your mind. Because that's not faith. You can know about. You have churches that are all about what you can do with your hands. Because that's not faith. That's works according to the flesh. Or you have churches that are all about the feels. What you can feel. I get you worked up. But that's not faith. The scripture I just read for you makes it very clear. That none of those things are faith. For faith is embraced in the absence of those things. Let us have worship without invoking the emotion through electronics and studio sound. Let us have knowledge without having seminars and study groups in order to embrace the truth of God. 
Let us walk in accordance to the Spirit of God, receive our nurture through Him, live by faith appropriating all that He has made us to be, and quit trying to appropriate it in the flesh. Because that is the way He's made us. Living by faith is what we're called to. Carnality is the absence of faith. Spiritual lethargy is the absence of faith. Worldly appetites and affections are the absence of faith. Sin is the enemy of faith. And this is brought out in our text today. I want you to see how deception and carnality took root in the church of Ephesus. It is a spiritual battle, but the enemy is not tempting the Christian to live in sinful behavior. That's not the point of the battle. It's much deeper than that. He is tempting the Christian to live without faith and therefore to make the work of God impotent in the Christian life and give birth to perpetual defeat and sin. You see, when we make sin the emphasis, we get the cart before the horse because the enemy is not coming to you to bring you into sin. The enemy is coming to you to bring you into unbelief. That is his principal work. To put doubt in your hearts. To draw you away from your God. To cast dispersions on the character of God. To make you judgmental so that you see God as someone who would reject you. It's constantly working against you believing in the finished work of Christ. In who He created you to be. This is what's going on in Ephesus. Yes, there was sin. We'll talk about that as we go along. There was all kinds of sin, kind of like in the Corinthian church. But the reason for the sin was their lack of faith. Now this is how it works in a church or in a body of believers. A false teacher comes in and he gives you something that's intriguing into the mind and maybe even to your emotions. And he says, you know what, you've kind of got the wrong angle of Christianity. You really, if you would just invest yourself in this, in this in this knowing, in this knowledge, in this understanding, in this feeling, if you would invest yourself in these things, then you would be able to create for yourself a way of living that would not be so stressful and would not be so erratic. You see, God never intended us to ride the roller coaster. So what you need to do, if you could just memorize enough of these scriptures and see how we have put it all together in this notebook, and we can show you exactly how you should live. Now, there's some things in scripture that are really kind of, uh, they're spiritually ascertained and they're not for our understanding. So we're going to kind of help you with that. And they take them off. And before you know it, it's not about faith. It's about what they know. It's about what they're feeling. It's about what level they've attained to in this new understanding. But the issue is, regardless of how they left, they left. They're no longer looking to Him by faith. Regardless of what the deception was, they were deceived because they left faith. You see, this is kind of counterintuitive for us because we believe in order to know something, we must know about something. But that's not true of God, is it? 
Well, why would we enter into an understanding of truth in that way? Why would we enter into a relationship with God with the premise that we must know about to know? But yet, most deceiving doctrine is based in that. And the whole emphasis, the whole purpose in the, in the enemy's work there is to take you away from faith. And it's a slow, subtle bend. And you will find that they will take an avenue of the soul, whether it be the mind, will, or emotions, but they'll take an avenue of the soul. And before you know it, you're not really believing God for anything. You're believing that if you can just do, understand, feel these things, you're close. So that's what's going on in Ephesus. Now let's look at verses 18 through 20. That's all we're going to look at today. Verses 18 through 20. Verse 18 says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, so that, inspired and aided by them, you might fight the good fight in contending with the false teachers. Keeping your faith, leaning completely on God with absolute trust and confidence in his guidance and having a good conscience. For some people have rejected their moral compass and have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be disciplined and taught not to blaspheme. Well, by virtue of where and how we're birthed into Christ, where we are and how we live upon this earth, we live in a war. Now, God intended that. He put us on a battleground. You were born on a battleground. We are at war with the world system. We are at war with the flesh. We are at war with the agents of the enemy. But we are born into light. We are light. And we are birthed in darkness. We are light that is birthed in darkness. Now, it isn't a war that determines who will be victorious. The enemies of God have already been defeated. This war is really a battle against faith. Against the faith of men in the God that holds them. Because the ultimate enemy of the enemy is God. We're inconsequentials of that. We're means to an end. The enemies of faith want to pull the child of God into anything that will diminish their faith. False teaching is a distraction from true faith because its emphasis is in the flesh. Now Paul is reminding Timothy of his calling and the prophecies that were spoken over him at his ordination. So with apostolic authority, he commands Timothy... The word command there in the original language is actually a military commandment. And he gives him a military order. And he says, this command I entrust to you, which is an interesting way of saying it. Basically, he's saying, I'm giving you this command. And he's saying, you're really the only one I can trust you with in, in a manner of speaking. I trust you with this command. It's, very, it's a very sacred command. It's almost like it's precious. It is a very important command. And I am entrusting you with it. 
Paul is trusting Timothy with a duty that he considers of vital importance. And the word, as I said, entrust indicates trusting with something precious, valuable, and special to the other party. In effect, Paul is saying, Timothy, this is part of what God has called you to. By the way, he said, <laughs> he's saying, listen, you were, you were anointed for this. This is part of your calling. I want to remind you of the words we spoke over you. I want to remind you of your calling. Because here's the thing. You can go through life and get distracted. You can go through life and, and get diverted. And, you know, I, I read a post the other day by somebody and they were saying, you know, I've changed majors five times, right? All right. Well, here's the thing. That's the way we are with life. We're constantly changing, but we think those changes are changes that define our life. But they don't. And Paul is saying to Timothy, your life hasn't changed. The course that you're on hasn't changed. What you're about to engage in is war. And it is an important war. And it is a noble war. Now, don't think that he's being specific to the church at Ephesus. He's talking about the calling in general, and he's talking about war for the Christian period. It's a war that we enter into in the new birth, and it is a war that extends on past even the death of this body, to some degree. Okay? So that is what he's referring to. And he speaks of it like it's a noble war. How many of you read... King Arthur, stories about King Arthur when you were growing up. Yeah, I, I can remember as a kid reading all of that stuff. And, and even my grandkids, you know, you can go over their house and they're running around with wooden swords with capes, you know, going to kill the dragon and all that kind of stuff. And the knights of King Arthur, they would go off on what they called a noble quest, right? Well, this is kind of what Paul is telling Timothy. Your life is a noble quest. The war that you're entering into is part of who you are as a called Christian, as a, as a teacher, preacher. And he says, this is important for you. In effect, he's calling Timothy to be, this is who you are, act according to who you are, live out of who you are. Not every child of God is called to minister vocationally. And so when Paul is talking about his calling, he's talking about the ministry of Christ that is working out of Timothy. He's talking about the fact that flesh wars against the spirit. He's talking about the enemy coming against Christ consistently. These things do not change. And he's saying, Timothy, this is what you're going to be up against the ministry of Christ is the outworking of his life within you. It is the fruit of the vine. It is the word become flesh. Ministry is your life's expression. It is obedience to your nature and the spirit who gives you life. Now, religion has institutionalized ministry and it's become something we do rather than who we are. Being called is not usually a special revelation like it was kind of with Paul. It should be a revelation of the new heart that Christ has put within you that beats in every child of God. It's not a matter of ability. If it were a matter of ability, it'd be a work of flesh, wouldn't it? Yet we tend to make it about that, don't we? Oh, he's got a talent. The Lord's really going to use him. I've heard that. 
the Lord's really going to use him because he has a talent? Well, that leaves the rest of us as no-hopers, right? No, the reality is that he is being used because he is yielded to the Spirit of God, and God has a plan for him, Ephesians 2.10, right? It is being called to a warfare. The original language here indicates a long campaign rather than a battle, a constant engagement. So Paul is telling Timothy, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. That's Ephesians 6.12. So Paul has really exploded the view here. Because if you're in ministry or anything else, and you begin to see your opponents as being flesh and blood, you have lost the battle already. You have. Because you have put it on the plane of flesh, and that's how you're seeing it. You will be bitter against their flesh, and guess where that's coming from? Your flesh. And you will resent their flesh, and guess where that's coming from? Your flesh. So you have literally subjugated yourself away from victory underneath the flesh. Because our victory has already been won. It is a spiritual victory that we appropriate by what? Faith. Faith. Exactly. So when we enter into these things, if we see only flesh, we're no longer fighting a spiritual battle. We're no longer engaged in a spiritual war against faith. We're now my flesh against their flesh. And God, why don't you curse that fellow? Why in the world are they allowed to take in air and make my life miserable? That's how I've seen it in the past. That's how you've seen it in the past. And that is doing nothing but firmly cementing your feet in the flesh. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.